Technology. Education is a future. This is 832 SIPS, an education podcast. Welcome, people of the internet, to 832 SIPS. Please stand by for knowledge. And we are back with our new intro and some more SIPS of knowledge for you. This is your host, Matteo DeMuro, coming at you from Brandon, Manitoba, Canada. This week, Dean and I had the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Mike Ribble, who is an educator and author. You can check out Dr. Ribble's most recent books, Digital Citizenship Handbook for School Leaders, Fostering Positive Interactions Online, and his book, Digital Citizenship in Schools. Dr. Ribble has worked within the field of education his entire career at various levels, which has given him a unique perspective of working with educators and students. He's spoken on the topic of digital citizenship to parents, teachers, and students, both in the United States and internationally. We have a wide-ranging interview with him today, starting with what digital citizenship is, what it means for schools, parents, students, and administrators, as well as what the future holds for digital citizenship here and abroad. So join us for this latest sip of knowledge and kick back and relax. Well, thanks, Dr. Ribble, for jumping aboard 832 SIPs today. We're really uh, excited and stoked to talk with you. Uh, we've heard podcasts from you from before and ready to work, and we talked about it in our master's class, so thanks for, for being here. So. I was hoping you could uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself, what you got in education, and what you're currently doing right now in education. Um, yeah, it's it's been quite the trip for me. Uh, you know, ever since I started, I I was very uh, fortunate. I worked with a gentleman by the name of uh, Dr. Gerald Bailey here at Kansas State University here in Manhattan, Kansas, and uh, uh, he kind of put me on this whole path of digital citizenship back in a Boy, 2002 uh, is when uh, we kind of started uh, down this uh, uh, direction. He was uh, it was a graduate class actually that uh, kind of started it for me. Uh, we were uh, sitting there and he started talking about this concept of digital citizenship and and you're, I mean it's 2002, so I mean this is all you know brand brand new ideas. So I mean and uh, so after that, you know we. Uh, uh, kind of, I started working on that, uh, breaking it down. Uh, that's where the nine elements came from. Was uh, I, he really suggested that I create a framework, and that was the, the framework that came out of it. So I uh, completed my degree in 2006. So uh, uh, that's when I uh, started working with ISTE and uh, wrote my first book, uh, Digital Citizenship in Schools, and that's where that kind of took off. Uh, and uh, ever since, it's been, you know, kind of uh, um, traveling around. I've been fortunate. I've been to Australia, Canada multiple times, uh, uh, Egypt, uh, Belgium, uh, uh, Singapore, uh, different places. So, I mean, it's it's been fun um, uh, just seeing, you know, different people, hearing, you know, hearing their stories, hearing what they're doing. But uh uh, I guess uh, if you want to know that that's sort of my side business because uh, I am uh, also a director of technology for a school district here in Kansas. So we have about 6,500 students and uh, that's what I do uh, Monday through Friday. And 
this is the kind of stuff I do on the weekend. So it's, uh, it's fun. Like I said, to talk to people from all over, uh, different places. Um, I'll tell you the, you know, the EU right now is heating up quite a bit. They're, they're really listening to this idea of digital citizenship and, um, uh, uh, actually, uh, the Middle East is actually uh, becoming uh, very, very uh, uh, interested and a lot more research is coming out of uh, uh, different areas, uh, you know, Saudi Arabia, Lebanon, uh, some of those, uh, even as far as Turkey, that uh, their their graduate students are, are hearing these kinds of things and uh, they're doing the same thing. So uh, just like you guys are. I find it really interesting that yeah. and I like what you said there because it's a global issue. Like sometimes yes. we get in our little box and we think it's just us, but uh, it's definitely affecting. What what what's one of the concerns that everybody seems to have, or what's kind of your from around the four corners of the globe for all those flat earthers out there? Uh, what uh, what seems to be the most consistent question or concern that that you have from people? Well, it's it it's like everything else. It's how do we do it? You know how how do we get how do we get started? How do we uh, uh, get this implemented? Because you know there's there's really you know no curriculum at this point in a lot of places. I mean, uh, there are some that are working on it, and I'll tell you there's some great work that's being done in different uh, different places. But you know those you know that are in, in school districts know that it, you know. It feels like it's just one more thing, you know, it's like, you know, how do I, how do I add this one thing? And so then it becomes, well, let's send it to the computer lab or let's send it to the, the tech teacher or, you know, let's have a, uh, you know, a, uh, you know, a, a meeting or a convocation on it. And we, we get a, a one shot, uh, no pun intended, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, a dose of, of digital citizenship each year. And then it's like, Okay, well, we we checked that box, and so now we can move on. And and you know that's one thing that uh, you know we, as far as different people, and you know this this last book that I did uh, with uh, Dr. Park, uh, we really tried to focus on how how do we get that implemented, and and that's you know that was sort of the impetus of you know the uh, progression chart that we came up with was. How do we take those elements and kind of embed those and interweave those into the curriculum? So you started investigating digital citizenship in these things in the early 2000s. Um, could you give us uh, sort of a brief overview of what digital citizenship is? You were also talking about digital citizenship in different places. So what's going on in our schools right now? How are we doing on implementing digital citizenship and where do we need to go? No, great questions because that's you know what I hear all the time. You know, um, yeah, digital citizenship. It's it's kind of funny because it uh, as you have more you know students are coming out of even out of teachers colleges and and even graduate programs. You know, some of them have never heard of digital citizenship. And you know, when you when you've been with it as long as I have, <laughs> sometimes it's like really you haven't ever heard of digital citizenship. So, you know, you know, I, I uh, you know, have to pitch it, you know, a lot of times to, to new people. But, you know, we, we talk about it as being uh, the appropriate and responsible use of technology. And what we added in this last book was in empowered use of technology, because that's really what it is, is we're empowering our students, our teachers, everyone to 
to really use the technology in, in, in the correct ways. And, and first, you got to know what that means. So, you know, when you talk about responsible and appropriate, you know, it's kind of like saying, you know, what is good? You know, what is a, what is a good digital citizen? And, and that's why I tried to break down the elements and really tried to talk about, you know, rights and responsibilities and etiquette and, and uh, you know, uh, communication and uh, literacy and all of those pieces was to, to kind of give a frame of what that looked like. And then, you know, in just this last, like I said, in this last book, we, we kind of had to create sort of this overarching piece called Safe, Savvy and Social, which kind of gave, you know, sort of a, a direction for everything. Because, you know, just throwing, you know, this idea of these nine elements and saying, okay, here's a shotgun, you know, here it is. We started to look at this idea of safety, and becoming savvy and then becoming social users of technology and using that as building blocks of how do I get to using these digital technologies in our classroom? Because it seems like almost everyone can agree that safety is one of those base pieces. And, you know, if you if you look at all the different definitions and all the different discussions about digital citizenship, usually safety comes up as one of the core pieces. So that's where we started. And then, you know, savvy is just becoming smart and, you know, understanding the different technologies and what they are. And then, then social is, you know, once you've kind of, you, I wouldn't say mastered, but understood these different building blocks, then I believe we can really interact with one another on that social level and have those civil discourses that we really want. So um, we, I really wanted it to, to, to kind of mirror what we do in education for all other uh, curricular areas. So, you know, we give, you know, these base ideas, you know, let's take, uh, you know, language arts, uh, for example, you know, you have to understand what a noun and a verb is first before you can build a sentence. And then once you build a sentence, then you can start building paragraphs. So it's a progression, and that's why we called it that progression chart, was you've got to move through these different levels to get to it. So, and then, you know, once you look at it on a global scale, you know, I, like I said, I've been fortunate to meet people from all over the globe. Uh, ISTE's been great with that uh, connection. But, um, you know, it's it's still hard because, like I said, after, you know, I've been doing this since 2002, so almost 19 years now. And, uh, you know, it still feels like, you know, we're, we're kind of at the starting gate, you know, we're still kind of, okay, now what, you know, what do we do to get going? And, you know, there's, there's pockets of people that are doing some really, really great things here in the United States. Some of our states have actually enacted legislation that requires digital citizenship. So like the state of Washington, uh, up on our Western, um, uh, Nebraska, just north of us, has done some legislation, uh, but it's really kind of hit and miss. And I'll tell you, to be honest, uh, the folks in Canada have been really, really um, super supportive of digital citizenship, pretty much from the get-go. And um, you know, one of the things that actually one uh, uh, user got permission from ISTE to do a French-Canadian translation of our book. Um, a few, I mean, a few years back, 
um, because they were so interested up in Quebec that they, you know, wanted a French Canadian translation um, to have for their staffs and then to pass along to their students. So, you know, there, you know, there's been some real drivers that have been up there, but uh, you know, it's like everything else, you know, we have some, some really great people and then they move on to other positions and then it's kind of like, okay, well, look, we've got to start over again. And so it's constantly a process, but you know, there's, you know, there's some great organizations um, somehow to the United States and uh, common sense media. Uh, if you know their work, they are just amazing with the videos and they've set up curriculum pieces and there's just, a lot of districts that are using it. And they've actually set up now an office in uh, the UK, in London. Uh, so they are starting to try to expand it. And um, I think they're trying to make the leap to the EU. Of course, that was all just right prior to uh, COVID. And so things have kind of slowed down just a little bit, but uh, I think, you know, and I don't want to, I don't want to ramble on, but you know, this, you know, this piece about, you know, COVID, you know, it, it was, you know, it was an awful thing, but for ed tech, you know, it was one of those opportunities to really see how can we use technology in a classroom setting. And I think, you know, we had a lot of educators that said, oh, we could never do that. You know, there's no way that that could happen. And then it was like, we had to figure out a path and some were better than others, but it really showed that, you know, we could do these pieces, but then when you do ed tech, what comes along with it? You know, where's the responsibility? How do we, how do we embed that concept into all these? And so, you know, uh, folks like yourself and, you know, like you mentioned, uh, Amanda Brace and, you know, others have been contacting me, you know, since last, you know, summer, and we've done some different podcasts and things talking about what, are the changes, you know, that have gone on and, you know, being in a school district, that's, you know, I've been fortunate to kind of watch this, you know, progress and learn and see, you know, what works and what hasn't and how digital citizenship can fit into that. Sorry, that was a long answer to a, to a very oh, short don't question. Be sorry. No, that was... Very, very informative. Yes, yeah, that's awesome. COVID has definitely exposed a lot of um, cracks and, and fissures and, um, I just, I just want to touch on um, sort of like in, in a lot of provinces, like in Manitoba, we have a LWICT curriculum, which has some parallels with, um, with yours. And, and I've heard of the S3 one from one of your presentations. Um, but I'm kind of getting the sense, like most places want to try to integrate it. And to me, that makes sense. Like this stuff should be integrated everywhere. Um, but one of the things you said sort of made me wonder, like, should there be at some point just a class, perhaps at a certain point, I don't know where it would be well placed probably in early years, middle years, but should there just be a class where, you know, we just teach these things to students? Like, does that need to happen? Because I don't see the momentum that we need. Like COVID has made everybody realize we need these things, but now it's kind of like, okay, you know, we've been trying to implement them for years and it doesn't seem to be, seems to be pretty patchwork. So what, what's your recommendation there? Should there just be a class? And then you know, it's, it would well. be it would be nice to have you know a curriculum and be able to walk through it and then you know actually like I said go through the progression teach it like a curricular area and do that but you know like I said you know you know I've I've talked to other educators I've talked to leaders you know they're 
their curriculum is so full already that, you know, they're saying, yeah, it sounds like a really, really great idea, Mike. You know, we'd really like you to do this, but, you know, we don't know where we're going to put it, you know, and, you know, then it becomes an elective and then, you know, they have to choose to take it. Well, you know, some of the things that are in digital citizenship are, you know, not probably the most fun because, you know, we're really breaking down, you know, terms of use and those kinds of things and really, you know, you know, what, what should we understand? And, you know, if we wait until they get into secondary level or, you know, college level, you know, by then they've kind of made their minds up of how they're going to use a lot of these technologies unless they get into a problem, you know, if they run into issues, you know, then, you know, they tend to be a little more receptive, but it's one of those things where, where do we put that? And like you said, but if we just try to embed it, then we have to carve out time in these other curricular areas in language arts and mathematics and science and all of these and say, okay, now you're going to take three weeks out of your, you know, curriculum throughout the year to cover these things. And they're like, well, we can't even, you know, get through what we, you know, need to get through. And, you know, you're adding one more thing and that, you know, it's that, it's that plate, you know, that's overfilling, you know, everybody says, you know, well, it's just one more thing. Well, you know, sometimes you have to look at it the, as the plate as opposed to what's on top of it. And, you know, these are the kinds of things, and to me, are the skills that we need to be sending people on with post-secondary, post-college, whatever the level it might be, so that they can be productive members, that they can have civil discourse and understand what that truly means. Because I think a lot of these, you know, there's this sort of uh, nexus, this this combination of, you know, where does my online life begin and end and where does my digital life begin and end? And I think that, you know, you know, for good or bad, you know, COVID has even blurred that even more so because, you know, we've been isolated. So we have to do these things, you know, online and, you know, we're communicating and, you know, different ways that we've never, you know, felt like, you know, we had to. And now it's like, well, now we're, you know, we don't have a choice. You know, if, you know, if we're in a, a school district or, or Providence or wherever it might be that we can't get together, you know, what is that going to look like? And, you know, there's still, I think a lot of people are, you know, even concerned, you know, what will the fall look like? You know, you know, we're finally getting, you know, the, the injections and everything and herd immunity and all of that we hear about. But, you know, what if we get hit with another variant from some other place and we're right back in the same place? So what are we going to do different to be better at using these? So I think it's I think it's a very complex piece. I would, you know, I would, you know, support, you know, a curricular place to put it, but it's the the day is so full and, you know, having been a, a science teacher and, and been an administrator, you know, I hear that all the time. And, you know, it's like, we just, where are you going to fit one more thing? I like what you're, you're saying there. Like, it, but if I really think we need to take a little higher approach and I really think like we took that class from Dr. Carlos and in Saskatchewan, Dr. Carlos was, writing a digital citizenship uh, document that's awesome and that we're supposed to supposed to 
uh, reference and, and use and stuff. But like we had a lot of great discourse and talking about it. And I think we have a, a really good understanding. And I, I know when I go to my classroom, because of all that, I, I feel better about it. And it doesn't seem like an extra thing on my plate. It just seems like the right thing to do and the right thing to teach the kids. I really think that teacher colleges or you know universities need to make it a mandatory class. Like this is, you know, I don't even want to say 21st century learning anymore. That's getting a little old. I just, this is learning now, right? And we're using the technology. So why aren't we just making it mandatory for teachers coming in? Because I know a lot of young teachers that, you know, they can go on Facebook or you know TikTok or something like that and have a little bit of fun, but they really, they don't know how to use it. So I really think that, you know, if you just give those skills to the teachers before they go into the classroom, that it just becomes a natural, you know, embedded in, and then they just do it. And then they don't even think about it or think of something else on their plate. They just realize like, this is what the kids need. I think that's the, I think that's the key to all of this is teachers need to understand all of these different pieces. And, you know, having, you know, you guys working with such a great mind of Dr. Kuros, you know, being able to, you know, to, to share that, I think, you know, is amazing, you know, but there are a lot of, you know, pre-service teachers that just don't have those opportunities. And, you know, for good, bad, or indifferent, you know, of course, you know, my wife's a third grade teacher, of course, she had to read all of my stuff, you know, all those, and, but, you know, she will, she'll tell you today that, you know, it helps her to embed those. And, you know, it's, you know, like, you, you know, those teachable moments that, you then don't have to go to a book and say, okay, this is what we have to do. I understand it well enough that, you know, uh, you know, when something comes up, I can address it right there. And, you know, she had, you know, an issue, uh, you know, years ago about a kid brought a uh, musical uh, CD, which of course we don't do a whole lot of CDs anymore, but they wanted to copy that in her classroom. And instead of just saying, okay, just go put that away. She used that as an opportunity to talk about copyright, to talk about, you know, what is the, the, the appropriate way of, of using those, uh, those technologies. I know it's an older technology, but it's still a technology. But being able to, to, to address that and not say, well, I don't know what, you know, what, what's good and what's not. So I'm just going to push it away. And that's what I think a lot of teachers, if they don't feel comfortable, they just, you know, they just say, okay, we're not even going to address that. And that's where, you know, now with social media and all of those kinds of things, you know, if you don't have some of that experience, how are you going to to deal with that in your classroom? And, you know, that's, I think, the biggest piece. Yeah, I know there's some researchers in Canada who've been tracking for at least at least a decade, maybe or so, like how many um, school districts have some component of online learning or blended learning. And I think it's around maybe they estimate with their surveys like 300,000 students across Canada. Um, at at um, Brandon University um, that I'm affiliated with, like um, there, you do have to take an ICT class. It's, it's mandatory as part of um, a teacher training program. Um, but I, I think Dean and you, Dr. Ribble, are both right. Like it needs to change uh, teacher training needs to change. And, and that's basically what, what those two researchers are, are trying to point to. Like we haven't really updated and thought about teacher training a lot. Um, what, what would it look like there then if we were going to ch change teacher training programs? Um, Dr. Ribble, do you envision just a class or, or would it have to be integrated in there as well? Well, I, I think that, you know, the ICT and, you know, we have that too. 
but using that as a stepping stone, you know, and but referring back to it in the other classes. So when you're talking about, you know, getting into your core areas, into your curricular areas, then we can start saying, you know, how do we do that? You know, how do we do, you know, use technology in, say, physical education? You know, that's, you know, you know, those kinds of areas have always been some of the hardest. Uh, how do we implement these? But they're finding that, you know, there's a lot of things that those technology tools can be used for in those curricular areas that, you know, they hadn't thought about before. But when you introduce those, you also have to talk about what are the potential issues or ramifications that come along with that. So I think that, you know, understanding, because like I said, with COVID and all that, you know, we have a lot more, you know, school districts and, and, and school um, and, uh, schools in, in particular that are one-to-one -one devices. So now, you know, they all have those devices in their hands. So what does that look like? And, you know, you can't just, you know, say, well, we're only going to use it for English. Well, that's not really a well-used piece of technology. You know, we really need to open it up. So I think that those trainings, you know, need to, to flow with that as well. And, you know, the, the, like I said, the ICT, you know, those, those pre, you know, courses are the ones where they can lay that foundation and really say, you know, here's, here's some places that you can implement these across. And that's why, again, I, I don't want to berate it, but, you know, talk about the progression chart is we tried to start laying out some of those areas of where could you put, you know, these different ideas into the curriculum and begin to talk about it. And then also where do they cross over? And I think, you know, we've tried that, you know, elementary does an amazing job with that, with cross-curricular pieces. Secondary, you know, I think we've always struggled with it. You know, it's, you know, I'm a science teacher and that's all I'm going to do, you know, and, but when you see those area times when, you know, teachers work together, like, you know, science and language arts, you know, are working together on a book study or, you know, something else that it really, you know, impacts the kids because they're starting to see, oh, these things all kind of fit together and they all interact with each other instead of, okay, this goes here and this is a block here and this is a block here. And, you know, it's not, you know, life is about those connections and we have to really show that piece. And I think technology, again, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to sell technology to everybody, but, you know, it's one of those things that can really draw people in together and say, we can, you know, do all of these things. We can pull these things together, but it's going to take a mindset change because, you know, as educators, we tend to kind of rely back on how we were taught and having that reset of saying, okay, yes, there were some great things that you, that you did when you were in school, but here is how we could be better. This is how we could do it better. Yeah, well said. Um, let's switch gears here, and I'm going to ask a different sort of question here because okay. it, it, it kind of ties in with some of the things you were saying. Um, so that you know, like we're talking about how there's really almost a blurring distinction between your online personality and your offline 
personality that's blurring. Um, there's all this background noise going on with with what's going on with COVID, and um, we're we're suddenly realizing that oh boy, like it's more than just about safety. And, and as you've been saying, Dr. Ribble, that S three framework is well, safety is where you start, and then and then you kind of build up from there. Um, and then we were talking about how we have we need more of this in teacher training programs. So for teachers out there right now on the ground. Um, are there any communities out there where they can sort of dive into and get some information, get some support? Because I think that's the most important thing is when you're trying something new in your classroom, like if you want to do more digital citizenship skills, so you need a support network so that when something doesn't work, you can go back and be like, okay, like this didn't work. What can I do next? Um, are you aware of anything like that? Oh yeah. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, common sense media is uh, one of those and, I'll tell you the people that work for it, you know, they, they'll, they'll go the extra mile. You know, I, um, I even had a, a connection with some, some folks, uh, I think it was South Korea. It was a international school and it was, it, it, I, I, they asked me to do a presentation and it just wasn't a time that I could do it. And I contacted uh, the folks that I knew at common sense. They were like, sure, we'll do it. We'll jump in, you know, we'll do, you know, whatever. And, and you know, they they've really spent the time and they've got some some great educators that have, you know, built, you know, different curricular pieces. And and, you know, some of them are, you know, fairly basic, but it's the place to start, you know, because that's what I hear from teachers. You know, I don't know what to do first. You know, that's that's where we have to, to go from. And, you know, that's, you know, in the latest book, you know, when we were doing the handbook for teachers is trying to lay out some of those first steps, even for educational leaders. How do I get that started in my school so that we as a, as a school community can start working together? And we really have to look at it on a bigger level as far as with the parents, because you know, they're, they've got them for you know, four or five years before they even come to school. And they're already touching technology even before they get to that point. So having that, you know, connection, having that ability to, to have that conversation even in schools. And, you know, a lot of times when I do those, you know, the parent nights and things, it's all about fear-based stuff. It's all about, you know, what are the, what are the bad websites? You know, just tell us the six bad places not to go to and we'll be fine. And, you know, that's the thing, you know, it's, it's always changing, you know, you know, who would have known in, you know, eight months ago or 10 months ago that TikTok would have been as big as it is today. I mean, it was on its beginning stages, but, you know, now, you know, people are you know saying, oh, well, I learned this from TikTok and I did this and, you know, all of the, you know, and, you know, before it was, you know, of course it was Facebook and then it was Instagram and then, and, you know, it was Twitter and, you know, each one of these have been progressions and, you know, to say, well, you know, just stay away from X and, you know, you'll be fine. Well, as soon as the kids find out that everybody knows about X, they're going on to Y, you know, they're moving on, you know, to something else. But like I said, going back to common sense, the nice thing about them is it's not just about digital citizenship. They have things about video games and movies and, you know, they have the whole, the whole plethora of it. So it's really a conversation about how do I understand the technology, understand the tools that are out there today? Because 
you know, the parents today are just, you know, they're struggling too. You know, they don't, they don't understand. And, you know, I've, I've done a lot of writing on that. It, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for those that didn't grow up with that or at the very, very beginning of it, when all they had were email and, you know, some of those, you know, basic internet pieces. And now it's so far beyond that, you know, now with cell phones and tablets and all of those things, you know, the apps have changed, you know, everything and how we interact, you know, everybody seems to have a device. And I mean, we've got kids that are five and six years old that are coming to school and they have, you know, a, a cell phone and it's not like, you know, it's not a, an old flip phone. It's it's one that has, you know, all the internet capability and all that interaction. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, it, it, and of course the whole discussion is, well, they need it for safety. You know, what if they're, you know, walking home and they don't have, you know, and I, I don't disagree with that piece of it, but now you've opened the entire world up to them. And, you know, when we talk about, you know, you know, even when we talk about uh, citizenship, you know, I'm not even talking about digital citizenship, but just citizenship. It was such a nice, easy progression because we could start from a classroom and then into a school and then into a city and then into a province and then into a country. And it was this building process that we could, you know, show them moving outward. And now with the internet, it becomes vertical so quickly that you go from the individual to global communication and contact in one step. Whereas before we could kind of slowly build out and, and you understood who you were in relationship to all of these different levels. And that's, you know, I think our, even our concept of citizenship has to kind of change because you are that, you know, in, in a country, but you're also this, you're also this vertical, this, this tied to a much larger and, uh, you know, very diverse community that, uh, you know, people just, you know, they don't tend to think about it. it's, oh, I'm just sending a text to my friend. Well, who's sending you texts? Who's trying to communicate with you? Who's trying to, you know, you know, make, you know, make those inroads. And it's happening earlier and earlier and earlier um, for these students. Oh, I'm just nodding over here. It's great when when you interview somebody and they're actually asking all your questions before and stuff because this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, you've literally been, been hitting all our yeah, it's like, yeah, Okay, yeah, <laughs> because yeah, like I really like I, you know uh, I really just think you can almost get rid of the word digital in terms of citizenship. It's just citizenship, uh, digital identity. It's not digital identity. It's just identity. It's like you are like you mentioned earlier. Your online and your and your offline worlds are they're meshed. Um, you know, you kind of touched on COVID a, a little bit, and maybe this might be, a, you know, since it's really topical in that, I think there are a lot of silver linings with COVID. I know it's not the best, but especially in education and that. Do you have any stories or any specific examples that, like, okay, this isn't the best, obviously, but check this out, and this might bring us forward as we as we move on? Well, you know, that's, you know, like you said, I think that we have to look at the positives and what, you know, where we came and uh, what changes and I, I don't think that we're ever going to go back, you know, to where, you know, we were before. I think that, you know, we have to look at that future. And, and you know, and I'm also very uh, blessed, you know, I teach a, a class out of uh, Kennesaw, Georgia. So um, I get to kind of hear from 
students sort of in that southeast corner down around Atlanta and around that area. But, you know, just hearing them talk about, you know, the students being able to have access and having those 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 the communication and having those opportunities and them starting to see as educators, wow, these are some things that I could really do, you know, and move us forward. But it wouldn't take away from what we're already doing. It's, you know, it's really about moving us forward. But I think what really came to light in all of this, and, you know, I'm seeing it a lot, you know, in uh, federal legislation and different pieces, is the internet connectivity has become the core piece of all of this. Because, you know, it, before it was all about devices. It was, you know, can I get a Chromebook or an iPad or MacBook or PC or whatever? And, you know, that was the focus. But then when we moved them into their homes, it was, oh my gosh, now we've got to have this other piece to be able to tie, because a lot of our schools do a great job with internet connectivity. You know, they've, they've built those up over the last, you know, two decades. But now it's the homes and do they have that access? And, you know, with COVID, you know, the stories that I've heard of, you know, parents that are working from home and their kids are there and they're trying to use a cell phone data, you know, to tie all of these together and be able to, you know, work and um, do uh, education and communicate with friends and, do, you know, all of these things that that we've, I think, really come to learn that, you know, the the internet, at, I mean, for as long as it's been around, I mean, with you know, we're you know, since the 90s, I mean, you know, actually before that into the into the late 80s, but that it is really become just like water and electricity and all of those other things that it is the lifeblood now for us to work together. And, you know, I think that, you know, I think some businesses are even learning, you know, we're not going to send, you know, we're not going to bring these people back. You know, we're going to continue to have people work from home because, it's less expensive for us. We don't have to have the buildings, the electricity, all of those things. But now you're pushing that out into the communities and saying, okay, now you have to find high-speed internet and connectivity, and you've got to have it at a speed that you know you can do full motion video and 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 communicate with three or six or ten or you know forty-five other people, and without it just dropping every few minutes and becoming frustrating. And I think that, you know, a lot of our kids, you know, got that frustration level. And, you know, we, you know, we had these, you know, situations even in our district where, you know, they, the parents were like, well, we have internet in our home. Well, you know, there's eight people now that are all trying to hit the internet all at the same time that you never did before. And, and it's not just, you know, sending a text or sending an email, you know, we're doing full motion video for hours on end. I mean, it's not just, you know, 10 minutes or 20 minutes. It's okay. I'm doing an hour here and I'm doing an hour here. And, you know, and that I think, you know, of the, of the, all the things that we've learned, internet is now the, you know, what do they call it? The fifth utility, you know, that it's, 
you know, it's on the same level, like I said, water and electricity and, you know, all those different pieces. I'm cheering for Elon Musk and that Skylink. Let's go. Let's get that rolling. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> yeah, that idea completely destroys all the issues with um, laying down wire across like, you know, barren, you know, tricky places through mountains. Um, well, and you guys have such a large country and, and just the amount of space. I mean, and to get up to places like Brandon and Red Deer and, you know, different places like that, you know, that's that's an expensive undertaking. I'd love to go on. Like we got more questions, but I, I think we're we're here at the ender. So um, a question that we usually like to ask is, um, you know, we talked about COVID. We talked about all these changes that are happening, the S3 network. Um, we didn't really get to talk a lot about the inequalities that arise out of this, although we started touching on that. So I'm just going to ask, um, I'm just going to ask this, uh, Dr. Ribble, if you could wave a magic wand and just magically change one thing about education tomorrow, what would that thing be? I, I just going back to the whole uh, inequality of uh, 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 data c communication, you know, internet access. You know, if I could, if I could have every, you know, metropolitan, every, you know, you know, not even large cities, small cities, uh, rural cities have that access. That would be, you know, the one thing that it would be, you know, it would be a game changer for all of us, and and being able to have that access and. And, and I, I think there's some people at some high levels that are really trying to work towards that. Yeah, very astute answer. Thank you. Um, and thank you so much, Dr. Ribble, for joining us today. It's been Thanks, Dr. Ribble. It's a We'd love to have you back. We still yes. have so many questions. Yeah, please. <laughs> a little uh, document here. <laughs> maybe, maybe we can uh, touch on some other areas. Yeah, I love that. Maybe, about, maybe, you know, then we can, maybe we could delve into this and we could uh, you know, talk about different pieces. There's, there's a whole section on just special education and digital citizenship that, you know, to me is an important uh, aspect that I'd love to, to delve into. Yeah, sounds we'd love like, to talk sounds about like it. Sounds like you through two more sips. I like it. Yeah, yeah. We'll get you on for a few more sips. Okay. <laughs> this is 832 Sips, an education podcast. We hope you enjoyed this sip of knowledge. Signing off. For now. Till next time. Keep sipping. That knowledge.